please accept my, my most unequivocal and humble apologies. Um, Isabella has just told me about your exchange. Tell you that she called me a dinosaur, did she? Too old to work in your precious shop, apparently. No, 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 she didn't. Not in so many words. Well, she's here now. Ask her. And I swear, if you go into one of your little Italian chit-chats, you will get a vodka and tonic shampoo for your trouble. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 258 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that notes a staggering amount of this week's episode runtime was taken up by Stephen explaining his purchase of a loaf of bread. I'm Gavin. And I sold something to a celebrity this week. Well, not me. Hold on. <laughs> Super early this week. Yeah. Auction talk. I'm not going to say who the celebrity is because that would be unprofessional. But it's not the first... I mean, I have sold... I've personally sold things to television shows and and ad agencies. But this is, I think, the first time that I've been involved in the sale of something to an actual celebrity and gotten their address to ship some stuff to. So it's quite exciting. It just... It made me feel good because... Um, this auction didn't quite do as well as we, we wanted it to. Oh, dear. It was supposed to be, you know, this really high-end antiques and art mm-hmm. auction. And it's hard to do in the summertime or in the late spring because it's still technically late spring. It's not summer yet. This time of year, people are out doing other things. They're not staying at home watching an auction. I don't know how it was. <gasps> so we're going to mention the name. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> Should be. It's, it's unlikely to hear it. I know, but it, it feels kind of unprofessional. I don't know. Maybe it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. So, you know, noticing that this per, per, this particular person bought dishes that their mother had designed. And I think that should give people a clue without clue. actually saying the name. <laughs> Was, was was kind of thrilling and and fun and it's it's fun when things like that happen at work i really love my job i was at work working my way through a, a roll of paper that's two foot by three foot mm-hmm. that has the schema of a database on it <laughs> and very small writing yes that's what i was doing at work yes. you were highfalutin it with he who should not be named yeah discovering that we had sold something to a celebrity and also taking photographs of a very unhappy cow (laughs) which was fun as well which is a trick because most cows look reasonably content yes well someone painted this cow with a frown so and I can't wait to sell it in the the auction but it's not all fun and games because today I was taking pictures of vintage buttons and and one cut me. Uh, right there. The button did? Yeah, it was it was a 
piece of a, a glass button no. when I was picking them up to scoop them back up and put them in their container. It it bit me, and it was very very painful, and there's blood everywhere. So it's not all fun and games, and and schemas don't tend to make you bleed. Oh, they make me bleed inside. <laughs> they make my eyes bleed. There was four of us pouring over this thing, over four different meetings, trying to figure out where everything joined up. Mm. It was not a huge amount of fun. No. But at least now I have a visual representation of what I do. So yes. when people ask me, you can just show what do them. you do for work? I'd show them this two foot by three foot bit of paper and say, this, yeah. this is what I do. And when they put their eyes up close to it and try and read it and realise that although they can read it, they don't know what it means. Right. Like I did. They're not going to ask any more questions. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Their curiosity has been saved. Saved? Sated. Sated. Yes. I'm has, good with words. Has peaked and sated. <laughs> yes. In the space of two seconds. I will no longer ask you questions. <laughs> but I will. That, that generally does describe what I do for a living, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I take pictures of cows. <laughs> and speak to him. Oh, you never spoke to him. I never spoke to him. What's his email address again? I'm not telling you. I'm especially not telling our audience. <laughs> his phone number... And two one two. And taking pictures of buttons that bite me. Oh yes. Yes. Oh, and Wednesday when we get back, because we're going away for the weekend, I get to go to someone's house and look at their books all day. I kinda love my job. There you go. Do you love your job? No. (laughs) Did you see that piece of paper? Yeah, but you like to be pedantic. I actually had quite a lot of fun going through that. I was the only person on my team who did. Which makes sense, knowing your team. I was like, let's start in the middle and work our way out. Ooh. <laughs> and I said it exactly like that. And people were like, the fuck is wrong with you? Anyway, shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that schematic. Corey News. Will Roach gave George H.W. Bush a run for his money this week by jumping out of an airplane at the it's- age of 91. Bush was a mere pup of 90 when he last took the plunge. Now, when you texted this to me, I thought, what storyline is this part of? <laughs> is this, does this have something to do with the scaffolding coming down? <laughs> but no, this was real life. This it was, was even, real life. He even did more it. impressive. He did it. I Holy never shit. do it. I would, there was probably, I think I explained to you, there was probably a period of about maybe two or three years in my early 20s when I would have done that. And I am no longer in my early 20s. No. No way in the world am I jumping out of a plane like that. Yeah. And here he is in his 90s. Yes. 91. It was quite funny though because the the wind resistance against his face kind of ironed out his wrinkles. <laughs> he looked really young when he was jumping out of the plane. Bless his heart. Yeah. Yeah. So what was this in the head of? He just wanted to do it. Just because it was fucking there. He's like, I'm, you know, if I don't do this now, I'm never gonna. And so he did it. And bravo to him. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. No, my Uncle John was a paratrooper and he was delightful, but he was nuts. So I never wanted to jump out of an airplane. No, my ex-wife's granddad was a paratrooper and he lost his leg uh-huh. just from... 
jumping out of planes so much. So I've kind of got it stuck in my head that if you jump out of a plane enough, you're going to lose a leg. And I don't want that. No. I don't want to run that, that risk. No. Oh. But bravo to him for doing it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. We may not be seeing Dr. Goddess for a while, as the badass who is Christine Mackey takes a new role on stage as King fucking Lear. She's King Lear? At the Hope Mill Theater, yes. It's an all-female cast. Oh, wow. And she's playing King Lear. Oh. Can you imagine? God, I am tempted to fly to the United Kingdom just to see that. King Lear prescribing antibiotics and <laughs> antidepressants, left, right, and center. <laughs> That's what you want to see, but no blood tests. No, no, no blood no, tests. No blood tests ever. We don't test blood for anything. Uh-uh. Or if we run tests, we don't run tests for caffeine. <laughs> More on that later. <laughs> or LSD. Or, or the same later. And finally, just in time for summer. Oh, Donnie by guitar? No. Never. <laughs> Corey has teamed up with Joni Clothing to create tops for ladies featuring six items bearing the names of famous locations on the show. Some of the items will also be available at the Corey Tour gift shop. The collection drops on June 21st. They look adorable. They do, and they kind of look a little unisex as well. Some of them anyway. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm just telling myself that so I can buy some. <laughs> I was uh, really pleased with the inundation of... Uh, offers that if they don't ship, people will buy stuff and ship it to us. Right, yeah, but they do ship. I immediately posted that on that thread that Wonderful. they do ship, that they have a US um, store. Oh, even better. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes. What are you going to buy? <sighs> I don't know. The Roy's Rolls one kind of looks Rolls like looks my great. Stranger Things t shirt. Does a bit. Um, and I really kind of like that style, but I also really like the Rovers one. The green one. Mm -hmm. That's really nice too. Kind of reminds me of our little merch store that we had running for a little while. And some people bought things. I know. There are people who have cups with my face on them in their <laughs> cupboards as we speak. And I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> and there are people with, uh, uh, but not like that, t-shirts or... Uh, Doesn't work at the factory. I have one of those. What was the other one? It's a bit Tim's fucking dad, wasn't it? I can't remember. Or do, do, and the cups that have... You know, uh, Mr. Nobody's bought one of them. Is a fanny in like blood Rocky Horror Picture Show it's writing. Graffiti. It's not. Look. You keep telling I, yourself I that, it but as, it's Rocky Horror Picture Show blood. It still says Mr. that Mr. Osborne, Osborne is, is a, a fanny. fanny. And to be frank, that's the main bit. <laughs> to be Dr. Frankenfurter even. Oh, well. Neatly done. <laughs> and that's Corey News. That's Corey News. Let's see who we have to thank this week in our section called Will Podcast for Coffee. Thank you, Vanessa, for buying us our coffees this week. Woohoo! Thank you, Vanessa. It's iced tea, though. Yeah, and, and we're donating it to... Uh, oh right, the Morton Neuron Association yes, we charity. Are. But for all intents and purposes, Vanessa has bought us coffee this week. Thank you, Vanessa. Vanessa writes, "I adore you, Helen." Aww. But <laughs> oh no. But apologies because I love Gab's little Justin Stockins ditty, <laughs> and I look forward to it every week. 
I would make it my ringtone if I could. Big fan of the darkness and also your lovely podcast. Aw. The darkness are coming to play Detroit in the fall. Well, there's a story. And we may we may not go because it's standing only. <laughs> and we're old in St. Andrew's Hall. I was kind of hoping that they'd be prohibitively expensive. But it's 70 bucks, which I think in this day and age is actually yeah. pretty decent, right? Anything under 100 bucks is probably decent. Yeah. But it's doors open at 6.30 and it's standing only. And my legs, no. I'm a martyr to my knees. You are. I think if there was something I could lean on. You're f- going to be 50 <laughs> next month. Or not next month. The month after next. Mm. In August. Mm. 50. The big five So, yeah, I'm at the point, I, I want to be comfortable when I go to the rock show. Right. I've always been one that enjoyed the creature comforts of the rock show mm-hmm. at the best of times, as my colleague Stoops, my big bear, would attest. Yes. But standing up for... At 50? Like no. three hours at 50. Forget that. No. Also, thank you to Anonymous for their kind donation this week. Oh, thank you, Anonymous. So I wonder who they are. I wonder. If it's Anderson Cooper. <laughs> I don't know if I can beep that out. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, thank you to you both for your donations this week. As I said, all this money that has been donated to buy us coffees, either through subscriptions or through donations, will be doubled by us up to 200 bucks and sent to the Motor Neuron Disease Association so any money that you give us between now and the end of the month, that's what will happen to it. The Talk of the Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes, Helen. The YouTubes. The YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link, where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of every episode. Correct. And now, this. A welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about he's got an ology. Oh, this was Evelyn make doing her Maureen Lipman impersonation. That's right. This was Evelyn's reaction to Jim Fizz, mixologist extraordinaire, in a callback to a British telecom advert starring Maureen Lipman from the 1980s. The 1980s. Thank you very much. I was Gavin, and you were sticky. Not quite sticky today. It's it's. It's cooled down quite a bit now that we've had actually had some rain. Yeah, we were recording on a Wednesday to accommodate your plans for the weekend, which was... To drive a Mini Cooper to Connecticut <laughs> yep. and stop in New York City to go to the museum. Mm. <laughs> we'll be doing something similar in a Ford Edge, but not New York City, tomorrow. It was over 100 degrees with the heat index. Stella got her braces on and you lamented the UK's free dental work for the under-16s. You successfully avoided four separate deer on a nighttime drive. There's so many stupid deer out in the roads at this time of year. There is. There's a lot of... There's a lot of animals, period. It seems like every day I'm, I'm seeing more and more videos 
of people with like bears in their garage. What? Yeah. Here? In in and eating rabbits? No, in in Michigan, but also in Connecticut and New York and other places where bears bears are not as common as say Alaska, but they're like the little black bears. They're fine. We need to get some bear spray. Cocaine bear. You'd got a cord book for your cigar box guitar. You've broken that bad boy open <sighs> once. Brian's lackluster proposal sends Kathy to the Rovers and into the sleazy arms of Jim Fizz, mixologist extraordinaire. Summer feels shunned by her friends while her collection of dads urges her to reconsider the future of her education. Audrey's cataract surgery storyline crops up again while Gail continues to worry about her mother's alcohol intake. With more work needing done at the house, Fizz is beginning to worry that her wedding is cursed until she receives some unexpectedly good bad news. Abby worries when she learns that her new custody hearing has been arranged for the next 24 hours. Tongues wag at Imran's funeral and Toya finds herself once more under suspicion from the police about her involvement in his death. Daisy refuses to clean that up. <laughs> Sally hasn't seen train spotting, and Evelyn surreptitiously advertises British Telecom. Our moment of the week was Carla leaving, although we declared it as Evelyn with her ology, and our boring moment of the week was Tyrone singing It's a Shirt, Not a Shoe about Weather County's new kit. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Yes. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. We're back. Why do you do that? <laughs> Well, now see what I'm doing, because we did it last week. Uh-huh. Now I'm doing it this week for the people who didn't hear it last week. Oh. And also for any potential advertisers to show there's a little space there where an advert could go. Well, Get you in know... touch, the talk of the street at gmail.com. Let's talk numbers. You, you were the one who turned down the manscaping. Well, no wonder. <laughs> I, I think everybody wants to hear about... Your ball hygiene. I don't want to be reading out any copy that references my balls every week. You say ball bags every week. To it's earn, fine. To earn a couple of bucks. No. Manscapes everywhere. Manscapes sponsors everything. I know, which is which is why it was impressive that they wanted to sponsor us. Well, it would be like me undies. I, I would happily go with me undies. Well, you'd still be talking about the comfort of your balls. Yeah, but be doing it for me undies. I'm not. I take me undies money. I'm not taking manscaped money. <sighs> Although I do understand that the manscaped, the manscaped products are rather good. Yeah. See, we'd get free merch. You'd get it for free by talking about your balls. Well, that hairy ball sack has sailed. Sadly. <laughs> shall we? <laughs> shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Now, we're in a bit of a hurry due to our early start tomorrow as we drive east, so there's no time for any jokes this week. Bullshit. Our first storyline is Tim's mum about the house. She's about a new house. Yes. With a with a luxurious spiral staircase. Oh, isn't it fancy? It's fancy. Would you like a spiral staircase? To where? <laughs> to upstairs. We already have a staircase. Yeah, but would you like one in your house? I'm not suggesting that we install one here. I'm just... No. In general. If we had a bigger house, yes. I think there are accidents waiting to happen. But anyway, 
<laughs> on Monday, it's moving day and Tim's mum is having kittens. She's also worried. She <laughs> finds Tim and Nina Rose and enlists him and Michael to help her out because they're doing their flit. Stephen has decided to go to work, apparently, which, who does that? Yeah. Well, Michael was already roped into this last week, remember, by yes. by Stephen and, and Izzy. Although Izzy seems to plead innocent this week, which I thought was rather funny. <laughs> she did. Meanwhile, in the factory, Stephen has fucked off to the pub to see Owen and attempts to drag him away to the bistro. But as he's schmoozing, Tim's mum comes in to announce that the Underworld van has broken down. So when Stephen goes out to look at that, Owen sees Jenny, who is still super frosty to him, and he demands to know why. Outside, Tim's got the van running while the scaffolding from number one is taken down without fanfare or incident. <laughs> so what was the point of that then? Ah, who knows? Maybe they actually were genuinely doing work on that building. That's what I'm coming to think. Yeah. Was that they had, they had to fix the building. Right. They put the scaffolding up. They pretended they built a storyline around it right. that really went nowhere. And right. Because this was Chekhov's scaffolding, right? You don't introduce scaffolding in Act 1 and not have somebody fall from it in Act 3, but that's precisely what they did. Right. It just came down and nobody really mentioned it. Right. Well, it's like when the sinkhole finally got filled in, we didn't get to see that either. But at least some drama happened at that. Yes. Death. Johnny drowned. Yes. Owen comes out of the pub with a bone to pick with Stephen about what he's told Jenny, and Jenny isn't too pleased to be called a bunny boiler, neither. No. Stephen struggles to come up with a story on the spot that satisfies Owen, who decides that once the factory deal is in the bag, Stephen's out in his arse. Yay! And now he's going to peg Jenny after all. Yay! <laughs> so Stephen goes to see Carla and desperately tries to turn her mind away from selling to Owen. Carla couldn't care less, but promises to put in a good word for Stephen. That's pretty funny. Sure. <clears throat> Stephen goes back to the office and attempts to calm himself down with a soothing Ocean Sounds app. Yes. But between Michael going on about the move, Izzy and Sean laughing, it's too little, too late, and Stephen throws the knicker people out before trashing the factory floor by throwing things over. <laughs> Michael, who was off doing a shite, comes out of the bogs, sees all this, and asks if he's okay. Now, this isn't Yelly. the first time that Stephen's gone a little bit raj. Yes. What do you think of this one? It was hilarious. It was quite funny, wasn't it? It was very funny. It was the one with the um, the frame of the little trolley with the knickers on it. The clothing the, rack. The clothing the rack. The clothing rack. That's the word you're looking for. Or the words that I'm looking for. <laughs> and he grabs it and he thrusts it up like he's a, <laughs> like like he's he's a weightlifting. muscle man. Right. And it goes, whoa, it must go at least six feet. It was hilarious. It was great. And it was just begging for some sound effects to be put over it. Mm, I wonder if somebody maybe did that on the internet already. S somebody maybe did already. Mm. At Corey Podcast on the Twitter. Mm. Stephen Campbell admits that Owen is going to fire him unless Owen gets hit by a bus before the deal is signed. Michael is sympathetic, but only to a point, and then starts tidying up. Like, Why Michael, are you tidying, tidying up, Michael? Up mess? You don't need to tidy this up. Nope. Calm on now, Stephen goes to the rovers to face the music, but Jenny has the measure of him, knowing that he did this because he was jealous. They go through the back, and he admits it. He was jealous. She admits that she felt the same way, but the timing never seemed to work out, and now he's marrying Tim's mum, and while that situation exists, nothing can happen between them, she says, which is far more than he deserves. Right, seriously. I would, I would say, you know, lying and calling you a bunny boiler mm -hmm. would, would put the nail in that potential coffin. His excuse for Owen was just Stupid. dreadful. Well, to both 
both of them. He's like, well, I didn't. I was I was worried about the business. And it's like Jenny doesn't work at the factory. She doesn't. She barely ever comes into the factory, even though she doesn't work at the factory. She's, She's one, one of, of the, the few people. people who never comes into the factory. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. His his excuses for these things, as as we will see later with another thing, are are becoming a little bit more stretched. More and more desperate. Yes. But it's interesting that uh, Jenny says nothing can happen while you're you and Tim's mum are together. Right. Which I think is what plants the seed for what happens next more than anything else. Right. Although that seed was already planted. Mm -hmm. So Stephen heads back to work and meets Carl in the street. She's been thinking about the situation with the knicker factory and she doesn't really want to sell to Owen if it's going to negatively affect people that she sees every day. So she tells Stephen that she'll sell it to him if he can make an offer. So now, finally, Stephen goes to his new flat and he tries to make more groundwork with Tim's mum about stumping up the cash, but all Tim's mum cares about is retiring and growing old. Which part of this isn't going to fucking happen, don't you understand, she says. Yes. And this was quite out of character, I felt, for Tim's mum. Now, you say that, and I understand why you say that, but let's all remember... Months and months ago, before she fell for Stephen's bullshit, she was the strong one who helped Yasmin overcome her anxiety over the whole Tim's dad thing, you know? She and, did. And she, and she was quite strong and forceful and, and had found her voice and everything. And then all of a sudden she like fell back into the abyss. So I don't see this necessarily as being out of character. It's almost as if she's finally getting back to where she was. Or, you know, she's she believes Stephen's bullshit because she wants to believe Stephen's bullshit, but Stephen's bullshit can only go so far before she pushes back. You know? Well, to a point, she has been uh, maybe... A- Maybe not quite such a forceful person, but she's been talking about something of which she is an expert. She knows all about relationships with people and who have coercive control and and all that sort of thing. So she knows of what she speaks. So when she was giving Yasmin advice and pepping Yasmin up, she was more than capable of doing it. But she did it in a in a forceful tone, but not a not such a dismissive tone mm-hmm. and she's certainly never spoken to Stephen like that and you could see him kind of surprised that you could see he was about to say who the fuck do you think you're talking to right yeah but he also hasn't really been all that coercive with her either you know he he pulls the wool over her eyes but he hasn't like th- physically threatened her the way Tim's no, I know. dad I, 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 I'm has. A, I, I absolutely and, agree and with that. She, and she's, she hasn't been really cowed by him. And she has disagreed with him in the past. This isn't the first. As she points out, this is not the first time that she has said, no, she doesn't want to do that. No, it's, it's all in the tone. It's all in how she says it. Well, I think she's just finally just really, really frustrated Yeah, absolutely. It. Which is out of character. For her to be frustrated? For her to be so obviously frustrated and to be so... To be actually almost angry at him. I don't know. I think we all get our have our breaking points. And she has been angry in the past. She was angry at Kathy, remember? No, she was jealous of Kathy. 
Well, I think she was also angry at all of Kathy's boxes. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Anyway. Later, she apologises for being a bit sharp. It's been a busy day. What with me moving house on my own, she says. Yeah. He pretends it's fine, then spies some novelty slippers. But as soon as her back is turned, he swaps out her blood pressure meds for caffeine tablets. It was the slippers that pushed them over the edge. <laughs> it's funny because these aren't even the slippers of the week. <laughs> the, slippers yeah. of the week. Yeah, no, no, because I'm not the slippers of the week. No. You confuse people. On Wednesday, up to her tits and caffeine, Tim's mum didn't get a wink of sleep and is nagging Stephen to take a day off work and help her unpack. Fuck that, he says, and make sure that she takes her fake meds. He promises to try and get the afternoon off. Later in the factory, Carla approaches Stephen again. If he wants the factory, he's going to have to cough up sharpish, she says. Meanwhile, back at the new flat, Tim has come round and is helping Tim's mum unpack her seemingly endless collection of gravy boats. Stephen comes back and there's immediate tension between him and Tim. Stephen announces he has the afternoon off, but just has a quick thing that he needs to attend to. While all that's going on, Tim goes home. Stephen ups the caffeine dosage as he makes Tim's mum a cuppa. Later, Tim's mum is having palpitations. She's breathless and dizzy, and Stephen tries to send her to bed and threatens her with another cuppa before disappearing to get fresh bread from Freshco's to make her a sandwich. Right, he's like, because she's like, we, I need to eat something. Yep, another sandwich, another cuppa? Would you like another cuppa? I'll make you another cuppa. <laughs> How much caffeine is in, <laughs> is in each cuppa? Now... We can kind of joke about this a little bit, but caffeine really gets you jittery and panicky. Yes. And, and right. that's why I can't drink Monster Drinks or Red Bull, really. It's just no. a panic attack in a tin. Yes. While he's gone, Tim's mum stoats about a bit and then collapses a la summer on the floor. And when Stephen gets back with his fresh coarse bread, he sees her immediately and without a hint of concern, he whispers her name and then checks her pulse and when he's satisfied that she's unconscious, he calmly leaves. But before he does so, he crucially leaves the bread on the kitchen worktop. Yes. And he goes to Nina's Rolls where he waits for Tim's mum to die, I presume. Mm-hmm. Audrey comes in, curious to know how the move has gone, and demands a grand tour of the new place. Stephen struggles to put her off, saying that he's too busy, and offers to do it later. She's I'm too busy drinking this cup of tea in Nina's Rolls. <laughs> yes. She's stubborn about it, but Audrey finally relents. Meanwhile, back at the flat, Tim's mum has come round and she reaches up for her phone on the coffee table but passes out again. But hours later, when Stephen finally comes out of Nina's Rolls, there's an ambulance at the flat and Tim's mum has been loaded in. Sally was just passing when she saw this and she's calling Tim. Tim's mum was able to tell Stephen that she finally reached the phone and was able to call an ambulance. The paramedics say that Tim's mum has had a serious head injury, so with Stephen on board... They blues and twos it to the hospital. Meanwhile, head injury of the week. <laughs> it's been a while since we've had head injury of the week. That's true. There's a brief interlude scene from another scene later where Maria reports to the regulars in the rovers about Tim's mum getting scooted off to hospital and how Stephen was in the ambulance with her. And this seems to give Carla something to chew over, I thought. The camera lingered on her, kind of thinking about, hmm... Stephen taking another woman to hospital. This seems to happen quite a bit. With he's, her, with her he's not LSD. the one who took her to the hospital, though. But just like Stephen being involved, and, being involved mm-hmm. in people having to go to hospital. I, mean, I, seem, I kind of thought that she just mm. looked a little bit, not exactly suspicious, but something that she'll remember for later on, I think. Mm. 
at the hospital, Tim arrives and immediately starts accusing Stephen of leaving Tim's mum when she needed him the most. He says he was out getting bread from Freshco's and saw the ambulance on his way back. Tim starts to blame himself, but Stephen points out that Tim's mum is alive and well, and to prove it, they go through to see her. The doctor wants to keep an eye on Tim's mum's blood pressure and reckons the fall was due to dehydration or because she stood up too quickly. Either way... Or she's old. Or, yeah. Either yeah. way, no need for a blood test. Right. And yet they say they're going to run more tests. What kind of tests if they're not blood tests, which will detect, one would hope, lots of caffeine in her system? Yeah, and no blood pressure meds. Right. Tim's mum calls it a silly dizzy spell and she just wants to get home, but that won't happen until tomorrow. Hmm. Tim insists that she goes back to his place when she's let out, but Tim's mum says Stephen will take good care of her. Hmm. Yeah, sure he will. <laughs> Meanwhile, Alia got blown up and they didn't even take her to the hospital. No, she was able to stagger home on her own. Right, yeah, and nobody said, let's take you to the hospital just to make sure that you're okay after you got blown up. Back at the flat, Stephen is packing an overnight bag for Tim's mum while Tim loads up on biscuits and absently moves the fresh goes bread from one, one counter to, to the, the other. next. Back home, Tim is still super concerned about Tim's mum, but it's more than that. He quizzes Sally on what she saw when she was at the ambulance and she confirms that she saw Stephen coming from Rosamond Street. Tim thinks something just doesn't add up about Stephen's story. Mm. On Friday... Tim is round at Tim's mum's new place, fussing over her. Stephen has some meetings and Tim's mum assures him that she'll be okay. She just plans to sleep anyway. And he goes to leave and Tim is ballistic that he'd leave her and shouts some abuse at him as he leaves, which is quite funny. It's streetcars. Tim is running his concerns about Stephen past Steve, which is a note that is just begging to be misread. But actually, look, yeah, I've got yeah it worked. Tim mentions how he's sure the bread storyline doesn't make sense, as does the fact he was coming from Rosamond Street. Steve doesn't know what to think of any of this. Especially since he's very concerned about another storyline. He is far too concerned about another storyline. Tim is back at Tim's mum's later checking in on how she's doing and he offers to make her a sandwich, which sounds like the subversive setup line of an American stand-up comedy routine. He sees the bread and it seems to trigger a memory for him. Tim's mum fair enjoyed her sandwich later. Tim has been doing some industrial-level thinking when Stephen comes home Tim turns into Poirot or Columbo, but a shit version, and paces the or flat. Or Jessica Fletcher. And paces the flat and asks how that bread got there. Are you okay, asks Stephen. Don't you gaslight me, ass, says Tim. I was quite impressed by I that. I was very impressed by that. And explains how Stephen didn't have no bread in the ambulance or no bread at the hospital. Not a crumb, says Tim. So where did the bread come from? Tim goes through his theory, which is exactly what happened, that Stephen came home, saw Tim's mum on the floor, left the bread, and then just left her lying right. on the floor. Stephen says that he bought the, the loaf at dawn, and yesterday's loaf was mouldy, and he came from Rosamond Street because he was worried about Tim's mum, and he likes to come from the opposite logical direction when he's worried about Tim's mum. This all makes sense to Tim's mum. What do you want, Tim? Blood? She asks. I don't, he says, but he might. Yeah. And at that... She throws Tim's mum's son, Tim, out. Stephen finds Tim later and offers him a peace beer. Tim tells him to suck his balls. He doesn't know why Stephen has it in for Tim's mum. See, you have no problem talking about balls. But he knows Stephen is up to something and he will be keeping his beady little eye on him. Mm. And that's as far as we've got with that this week. Yes. This was was good. 
the yeah. switch, wasn't it? Yeah, it does kind of feel like the walls are closing in. But I mean, we've said that before, and, and the walls still haven't closed in. I feel like there's another. I still think that Tim's mum's probably not long off this earth, or maybe Owen. I mean, who knows? Yeah, I mean, as we have said before, and I will say again, they're treading a very thin line here because if he actually kills a woman, I think that ruins kind of the campy fun. It does. It ruins the comedy of it. Of the story. Um, And it just, it feels unbelievable that that, that giant car top thing. You're still going to be in the canal. Hasn't been discovered in the canal yet. Because it was very shallow right there. And it's getting to be summertime, so the water's going to be... And it's baking in England right now. Well. Baking. Yeah. It's 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Crimea fucking river. (laughs) Oh, the Twitter discourse between Americans and British people and who suffers most from the heat. Well, it's really British people and everyone else. (laughs) Because I'm sure Spain's going, what? What you're talking about. Right. And then British people are like, well, we don't have air conditioners and our houses are built to retain heat. And everybody in the northern part Which of the true. United Yes. But that is true of most of the northern part of the United States as well. <laughs> and schools everywhere in America do not have air conditioning. Oh no, the the kids are made a sweat when they when they come out of that. Absolutely, yeah. So it's like they have this perception of America that's not quite accurate. In fairness, there's a lot of things Americans get wrong about British people as well. Oh, but good save. Good save, Helen. Somebody might buy us coffee next week after all. It's just funny. It's just funny to sit back and watch this discourse <laughs> and just shake my head. See, I have to stop myself because when I see my friends commenting on Facebook mm-hmm. about how hot it is, my desire is to tell them how hot it currently is here. Right. Or how hot it is in this room. Right. Which is typically five or ten degrees hotter than they're complaining about. Right. But I'd stop myself. Yeah. Usually. Usually stop myself. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, you're right. He would lose... Uh, he would lose any... Uh, I don't know if it's goodwill, but the story would certainly lose its goodwill and, right. and humorous factor if Tim's mum was to die. Yes. But maybe that, that's what happened right at the very end. Right. But and I mean, and like I said, it's, it, it feels kind of unbelievable that neither one of those other bodies has been discovered yet. And it's also becoming more and more unbelievable that hospitals are not testing these women's blood for, for other things. When they on, come in, I keep on forgetting about Rufus. Rufus has already been discovered, right? Yeah, and 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 ruled an accidental death. So Cinco Leo, we don't know where his body is. We think he was maybe set on fire in a field somewhere. That was just his clothes. Was it? Yeah, we don't know where the body is. Cinco Leo's dad, Teddy, is, right? He's in that box. He's in a box in, the in canal. a canal. Rufus we presume has been given a good Christian burial. Yes. So, mm, maybe Owen, but Owen is just a less sleazy Rufus. That would kind of be, we've already done that, haven't we? Right, yeah. I like Owen, even though he's not really an American. <laughs> he you isn't. Know? He clearly isn't. Right. Yeah, I, I think there's more, there's more blood to be spilt 
mm-hmm. on this. But honestly, I'm not sure we've even met the person that Stephen's going to kill next. Who knows? I mean, mm. there's a few that have been kind of lined up, but right. I think Carla's probably out of the woods. But Right, and, and Michael seems in the clear now. Mm-hmm. Remember when we thought it was going to be Michael because... And he, he, and it would be counterintuitive for him to kill Paul, because Paul's going to die anyway. Right. Why would he? Well, because he's oh, worried about the car thing and, mm-hmm. and that he may have seen something. I don't know. I don't know. I, it's, it's never been my favorite storyline, and I'm just becoming more and more tired of this guy. I think it was it was great value for money this week. He was he was very good this week. His his excuses are just becoming more and more ridiculous and it seems it feels like people are realizing how ridiculous they are. I was kind of upset at Jenny who kind of seemed to almost forgive him because he was jealous. Oh, she did. She absolutely forgave yeah. him. Yeah. And I'm like, "Jenny, what are you doing?" You know, is it is it you're you're flattered that he was jealous? He called you a bunny boiler. And that's that's not nice. That, that ain't great. No, it's a fact though that he nearly got caught by Tim. Yeah, <laughs> of all people, Tim's worked this out. Yeah. He's worked it out perfectly yes, from he has. the loaf of bread. He nearly yeah. got done by Tim's brain and a loaf of bread. Yeah, it's incredible. Yes, what are the chances of that? I don't know. <laughs> Why didn't Tim open that trash can? <laughs> Yeah. Where the actual moldy bread is. I think that would back Stephen up, wouldn't it? No, because Stephen insisted that the loaf of bread that Tim moved the other day was the moldy bread. Oh, that was a different one, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Damon Bad Omens 2. On Monday, Sarah's having a coffee with her gran as she admits getting a hole off of Damon. <laughs> That's a conversation you have with your gran, isn't well, it? Well, she'd already had it with her mother, so... <laughs> Audrey can appreciate the thrill of the chase. Gran... Just stop fucking talking right now, please. I love I love how in this storyline, the old guard are perfectly okay being really, really frank with their grandchildren about their own sexual deviances in the past. Yeah. This seems to be confessed to a grandparent week. Yes. Audrey says maybe this has made Sarah realise what she really wants. And if that's the case, do something about it. Dee Dee is packing in the law office when Adam comes in and, as predicted, rescinds her sacking. They apologise to each other. Then Sarah comes in to tell Adam that she's looking for a fight. She's wanting to fight for her marriage. Dee Dee leaves them to it. Sarah makes a plea for her marriage and her family. She wants to put it all behind them. Adam isn't really buying her act. Sarah says that she's not the only one who has made mistakes. And she's never seen them these days. He says he's trying to provide. And she's cheated on him. She says that that's not the only thing that kills a marriage. Adam goes to the pub to speak to an expert on these matters, Ken. His granddad. He tells Adam that the only thing that matters here is if he loves Sarah or not, and he uses the tumultuous relationship with Deirdre as his case in point. Now, if you'll excuse me, says Ken, I've got a fucking plane to jump out of. (laughs) Back home, Sarah's burdening Audrey some more about her love life. Audrey thinks she shouldn't take no for an answer, but should move more at Adam's pace. She knows that she cares about Adam and isn't ready to give up. At that, Adam comes home looking to talk. But not to Audrey. So... (laughs) So the two of them talked together. He thought that they were working for the same thing, but maybe he wasn't 
uh, in the here and now as much as they should have been. It sounds like they're both learned a valuable lesson and they both love each other, so they decide to give it another go. Then Adam tells Sarah about his granddad jumping out of a fucking plane. <laughs> so the two of them head out for a takeaway, and on the way back, they run into Damon. Damon is not in a magnanimous mood and starts ripping the piss out of Adam. Adam warns him that he's not prepared to be poked with a stick by Damon anytime he feels like it. Don't make me do something you'll regret. But Damon is far from threatened by this, reminds Adam of the circles that he's moved in in the past, and wanders off laughing. And I feel I have to use this adverb, maniacally. Yeah, that was that was quite the laugh. And I don't even know if that's actually the that actor laughing because we don't because we see him walking away while we hear this laugh. And it does sound like Mark Hamill a little bit. Which brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. What did we all think of Damon's maniacal laugh at the end of Monday Night's Corey? Was it very effective? Left in by mistake? <laughs> kind of spooky? Or one billion dollars? So you didn't even put the Joker in there? No. Shame on you. Did you vote on this? I don't think I did. So in fourth place, it was very effective with 4.7%. Yeah, I, I I would have voted for left in accidentally. Kind of spooky was 15.1%. One billion dollars was 27.4%. And left in by mistake was 52.8% of the vote. Yeah. It didn't go. It didn't. You could tell that it had been added in later. Right. It was, uh, what did they call that? I don't AD. know. AD. It was done in AD, additional dialogue. Yeah. It was done post. Right. Which, you know, was when, when you see a character's back turned and you hear them talking. No, it would have been better if his shoulders were going up. <laughs> no, no. He was like walking down the street like the cock of the hoop. <laughs> he was swaggering. He was. He was. He looked like Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 3. It was the strangest thing. And for Monday Night's Corey... I was thinking, this entire show has been memeable today. <laughs> Absolutely all of it. On it Wednesday, made your job easy. I did. I just put in a Woody Woodpecker and job ah. done. Job done. Ah. On Wednesday, on the street, Sarah is trying super hard with Adam and asks to meet for lunch. Adam has a meeting about another storyline, but they settle on 1pm at Speeddal while ignoring the fact that Damon has stolen Sandra's job and is putting out the bistro signage for the day. Remember Sandra? No. At the factory, Sarah is asked by Owen to hang back at lunchtime for a meeting, so she has to call Adam to tell him that she won't be able to make the date because something's come up. Why Sarah says something's come up rather than my potential new boss has called me in for a meeting is designed so the rest of the story can happen. Later, after the meeting that we don't see, she goes round to the law office with apology coffees, but Adam is very blunt with her and dismisses her gesture, and through mild interrogation from Sarah... He admits that he suspects that she was lunching under the covers with Damon. Mm. She points out that if she was going to cheat, she wouldn't have made plans with him. Adam ignores the sense of this and Sarah leaves. She goes round to the bistro to shout with Damon, demanding in the middle of the restaurant that he leaves town. Damon admits to feeling sorry for Adam, who he says that he likes, and I genuinely believe it. Yeah, me too. But he has a business here and he's not going nowhere. Again, Damon seems to be behaving fairly reasonably here, notwithstanding the adultery. And, and the maniacal laugh. Yes. Which, kind of unforgivable. <laughs> At home, Sarah explains that she asked Damon to leave Weatherfield, but he refused. 
Adam says that he knows there's nothing going on between them anymore. She just wants to get back to the way things were. And he says that he's trying. Well, he's going to need to try a little bit harder. Well, give him time. <clears throat> you know, everybody's acting like he should just get over it immediately. Well, he can't say that he forgives her and then act like he hasn't forgiven her. Well, you can forgive and not forget. Yeah, but does that allow you to accuse? J'accuse. Yeah, I mean, not really, but, you know, she is tr- she is pushing this a little harder than she probably should, you know, and is, is not as contrite as one would expect somebody who's been caught sleeping with somebody else. This is true. I mean, if I did that, it would take you a lot longer than one week to forgive me. Not that I would ever do that to you. You're the good husband. I would take nine days. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, we never have to test that theory. And and, and vice versa. Oh. On Friday, it's good that we can <laughs> say this out loud while something is recording us. Right. On Friday, in Nina's roles, Nick is wearing braces. Nick's wearing braces, or suspenders if you prefer. Right, yes. I was confused. I was like, he went to the orthodontist? While Leanne complains about a new bad review on TripAdvisor from someone who had an obstructed view of the Sarah and Damon fight from the other day, Leanne's piss is boiling at this, so Nick wearing braces agrees to have a word, whatever that means. At the bistro, Leanne, Nick wearing braces, and Damon are having a barney. Or rather, Leanne is shouting and everyone else looks uncomfortable. She calls Damon unreliable and how nothing is ever his fault. Damon thinks they should be grateful for him getting the late licence. Leanne wants him out. She doesn't want the bistro to get a bad reputation from him loudly arguing with Sarah. She'd much rather it got a bad reputation from Ryan robbing the safe, Scott and Johnny pulling off an armed robbery, associates of Damon attempting to steal smuggled drugs from the kitchen, Chesney getting stabbed, Michelle ninja robbing the till, a serial killer getting his comeuppance in the kitchen, Natasha getting shot by the worst baddie ever, face smashing Adam Scullin at the bar, or all the sex in the freezer. <laughs> or or uh, Debbie and, and Kev getting locked in the freezer. Which had nothing to do with the sex. No, no. This is, this is that is not the storyline where bigamy, or not bigamy, Incest. Incest comes up. That comes up later. Incestuous bigamy. Now there's a storyline. <laughs> On the quiet, Nick wearing braces has a word with Damon and suggests that he takes a step back from the business. Damon hates that he's messed up Sarah's life and marriage and this is the first time that he's been bothered that way. He thought she was the one because out of two, he gave her one. He's genuinely choked up by it all. He wants to prove the bistro is his priority now. So Nick, wearing braces, agrees. And later, Nick wearing braces has to run this by Leanne, and she already knows that he's folded like a cheap suit. Damon has played him like a banjo, a hairy banjo, that wears braces. <laughs> and that's as far as we get for that this week. Why are you so obsessed with his suspenders? Why is he wearing <laughs> suspenders? Maybe, maybe he's To keep uncom- his trousers up. Maybe he's uncomfortable with belts. Maybe he's had surgery on his belly and, and so can't have a, a belt wrapped around him and he doesn't want his pants to fall down. It's the Rover 75 all over again. <laughs> the, the last time it was Nick wearing a shirt that made him look topless. Remember that? <laughs> I remember that. Nick folding so quickly with, with Damon's crocodile tears. 
who he hates, remember? Right, yeah. And also, you know, this guy who messed with his sister. And his son. Right. Not like that, though. No. No, God, no. I... He's sorry. He doesn't, you know, he'll do better next time. Really? Really? He was believable. (laughs) I've got to say, he was believable. This is the thing that I find really interesting about Damon. And maybe, maybe just a little bit contradictory as well. That the way that he was with Adam on Monday before Mm -hmm. and during the maniacal laugh. Right. Was basically... Don't be poking this bear too much, pal, or right. you know, you're or gonna, I'm gonna get kick your ass. Exactly. And and Adam's threats were very much falling on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. And not only was he just dismissive, but he was lording it over mm-hmm. Adam as well. Yeah. And he was questioning his his prowess. You know, right. he, he was the alpha male. Damon right. was the alpha male. Right. And he was really kind of rubbing in and being pretty nasty. But when we see him Later on in the week, especially on Friday, he He's was so, so contrite. Yeah, and I like and, Adam. And absolutely believable. When he says that he thinks Adam's a great guy, I'm sure he means it. Does he? But why would he talk to him on Monday the way that he talked to him on Monday? If Because that's the real Damon. If he thinks Adam is such a great guy. He doesn't. I think he does. It's all an act. And only men believe him. <laughs> That's true. You know, well, because... Well, me and Nick believe him. Because, you know, Dee Dee was never taken in once, you know, once she found out what he was actually like. Questioning... And Leanne's not taken in. The women know better. So you're saying that the the Damon that was with Adam on his own yeah. on Monday is the real Damon. Yes. And the Damon with Nick... Tonight and Friday's episode was all a charade. Right, yeah, because he wants to stay in control of the bistro. It's got me fooled. Well, because you have a penis. <laughs> well, that's certainly true. You do. But the, I've seen it. <laughs> it makes him an interesting character anyway. I think his... Uh, the two sides of him here that are absolutely in conflict with each other is a kind of rounding of a character that we don't normally get, I don't think. Characters are good if the storyline says they should be good. Right. And characters are bad when the storyline says they should be bad. Right. Damon here, whether you believe him or not, seems to at least be attempting to surf between one and the other a little bit. Right. Where, where the, the need dictates. And I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting concept. I guess feeling was like that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Tim's dad was like that. Tim's dad was everybody's pal, remember? But, but he and fooled, pulled the and fooled everyone. He didn't, right? He didn't fool us as right because as viewers, like Damon is apparently fooling. Well, he's fooling one of us, right? The dumb one. <laughs> well. <laughs> So Adam and Sarah look like they're going to at least try. Do you think Damon's kind of given up on that? Do you know, like you said, and I know I've asked you a question and now I'm going to continue talking, mm-hmm. but the 
he has said to her before that that was it. Mm-hmm. And that, that wasn't it. No. So do you think it is it now? And now I'm not going to say nothing. I think everything is going to fall apart again when Sarah realizes she's pregnant. Oh, there's, there's the bomb that's about to drop. Right, yeah. Where we're slowly getting Adam and Sarah back together. It seems like maybe Damon's moved on. But then this is going to happen and it's just going to blow everything up again. Yep. Because uh, then we get our who's the daddy storyline. And I maintain that that isn't really a spoiler because anybody who's watched a soap knows that Sarah needs to get pregnant. Right. The gods of plot dictate it. Yes. She and Adam were trying to get pregnant. She didn't. She's had an affair. She's bound to get pregnant. Right. She, yep. she can't not. Soap, right. soap would just disappear. Right. If she didn't get pregnant. Exactly. And the show sometimes remembers it's a soap opera. It does. All right. Let's move on to our next storyline, which is. <laughs> Auction talk. That's right. We had an auction on the show this week. We did. Coincidence? <laughs> of course it is. I think not. On Monday, poor Aggie is not looking forward to today. It's Yvette's stupid auction at the bistro and Aggie is not going on her own. So drags Didi along with her. And Sally. Ed advises bidding early and then letting herself be outbid, which will show support for Yvette's cause. Right. Doesn't really commit herself. Right. Sally's there too. Yvette says that if they give her a nod, she'll bring the hammer down quickly, nice and early, to make sure that they get what they're bidding for. Yvette is the MC and gets things up and running, saying it's for downtrodden, manky communities like this one. That's nice. Right, yeah. And she also apparently has redecorated the bistro. And put in new light bulbs, so everything's brighter. First item is a pair of flip. Uh, yeah, and installed a stage. First item is a pair of flip flops, and the bidding starts at 150. There right. are gasps of shock at the priciness of this stupid auction. Right, they they have rhinestones on them, and they're for men. Lovely. Yes. Just comes in, in time for Father's Day. Didi comes in late, but in time for a summer house. And the vet mentions that Ed can get it up for any of the ladies in the audience. Aye. <laughs> bidding starts at 3G's Remembering Ed's advice Aggie puts in the early bid But shits her breeks when there are no advances Sold Cash, card or check Says Yvette Dee speaks up saying that she'll never get planning permission for the paddock Unless it's for agricultural purposes Leanne hasn't a shitting clue What anyone is talking about And Sally's getting pished So it's a pretty good night all round Later, Yvette goes to the law office to set up an appointment with Adam. She wants to talk about some business contracts her husband has set up and wants to get out of. Dee Dee overhears this. You're skint, she says. Mm. And it seems that Yvette is no longer the upwardly mobile member of society she once was. She blames Brexit, the pandemic and some totally bonkers decision making from Patrick. They're staying at the Rape Hotel currently until they can find a place to rent. Dee Dee tells her that Aggie is as potless as Yvette is. Yvette promises to cancel the summer house. Dee Dee promises to look at Yvette's contracts. Yvette doesn't want Aggie to find out any of this. Called it. <coughs> you did call it. I called this last week and I was right. You feeling happy? You feeling proud of yourself? Gav, I was. You were right. Yay! <laughs> Always nice to hear you say it. 
It is Friday, June sixteenth, nine nineteen p.m. <laughs> yeah, I, I said this to you on Monday before you'd watched. I said you were right about uh-huh. Yvette. She's skint. Mm-hmm. I thought this storyline was as super as it was last week. I really enjoy Yvette, mm-hmm. although she has a character that we've seen kind of before, right? In, yeah, in recent Corey history, but but it's she's it's, great. It's nice because it's a it's a. It's an interesting Bailey storyline that has nothing to do with racism, so mm-hmm. I will take it. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where we're going to go with this. I mean, I, it feels a little bit like the Aggie storyline, maybe with the uh, Mister Mister Liver Doctor guy, Mister mm-hmm. Liver Doctor guy, Mister Thorn. In my side, how it looked like it was that storyline, then it became something else. But I don't think you get Arabella Weir involved in a story that's not going to be funny. Right. Why would you get her in the storyline if yeah. you're not going to make it funny? Exactly. So I have high hopes for this one paying off. And and this week I thought it was great. It was, again, more memeable stuff on Monday. That auction, Bits and Bobs, was great. Geez. Do you have any idea where it's going? Mm, <clears throat> no. I have a feeling, though, that... She's going to let it slip with Aggie that she knows. Yeah, because she knows... And Aggie's going to be furious with Dee Dee. She knows that Aggie's skint, but Aggie doesn't know that Yvette is skint. And Dee Dee has once again promised to keep a secret. She's a secret keeper. (sighs) I guess every show needs one. I think it's quite funny that it's always her. (laughs) I think the burden of being the secret keeper, she's already complained about it. Right. And she's no longer got, oh, she's no sooner got rid of a couple of secrets and she gets a new one. Gets another one. Good for Dee Dee. Hmm. She's fabulous. She is. Dee Dee is just absolutely fabulous. She is what, the best. A, we love her so much. What an amazing addition to the show. Yes. All right, let's move on to Mad Max Racist Road. <laughs> on Monday, Max is on the phone to Gav with an update on tracking down Beck. Gav begs Max to get her to take his calls. Max agrees to try. So Beck comes over later to number eight. Max wants to speak about Gav. Beck wants to speak about anything but. And before Max can press her on the matter, Audrey comes in and acts like a great grandmother and threatens to tell Beck all about Max's last girlfriend. Yes, that was very sweet. I loved that whole that whole interaction between Audrey and Beck. Because they, so, they were so sweet to one another. They were. And that's... That's just nice to see. Yes. Here's uh, the Beck character uh-huh. from the precinct. Right. A little rough around the edges, maybe. And mm. just being an absolute joy with Audrey. I hope to see you again. Yeah, you two. You know, they're just, right. just lovely and nice and pleasant to each other. And Audrey, you know, this old white lady, just being absolutely delighted to see Beck sitting there. Yeah. And hanging out with Max. Absolutely. Audrey leaves and Beck wants to know about racist Kelly, who was called Lauren, remember. Max wants to talk about Gav, but Beck really doesn't want to talk about Gav, especially not when she's on a date with Max. Max is confused. This isn't a date. Beck wants to get in the mood. And sometime later, Max walks Beck back to the precinct flats, still singing the praises of Gav, and he can't do the dirty on his mate. She tells him she knows he fancies her and tells him to call her. Max comes in his pants a wee bit and then waddles home. And that is how I met your mother. <laughs> On Wednesday, Anina's roles, Shona is quizzing Max. His meeting with Beck the other day was all over Platchat. 
She's worried because Beck is black and Max has just been locked up for being a horrendous racist. David turns up and joins in the ribbing. Max, who is wearing a genuinely honking sweater, grabs his jacket and leaves. Yes, but, but not before pointing out that his racism was Islamophobia, not against black people, or not against black people who are not Muslim. At home, Max comes in and catches David tickling David's chin and rubbing David's belly. Which is so great. David I- continues the quizzing about Beck, who Max says isn't his girlfriend. It's more complicated than that. He explains that Beck doesn't know why he was locked up and she's black. David says he wasn't locked up for hating black people, he was locked up for hating Muslims. Oh, and that that's apparently right. makes all the difference. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that you're incorrect there, David, but sure. It's like it's like David thinks in this situation you're a racist, but you're a good sort of racist. Or you're a racist, but you're only racist against one kind of people. And so it's okay. You know, and so somebody who is not somebody who has experienced racism in their lives, but is not a Muslim will be okay with you being Islamophobic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not how that works, David. But nice try. Nice try. But he says it with such an air of confidence in what he's saying right and he doesn't get corrected no no he doesn't max seems to say max seems to genuinely consider that as as an okay thing it was weird (coughs) kind of like my voice there for a second Mm. david says he's learned his lesson and says the right person won't judge him david Mm. agrees max is all also worried about gav and this changes David's opinion entirely. Right, yes. Oh, it's you can't fun. Touch your, you can't touch your mate's bird. And plus, Gav is a fucking lunatic, let's remember. He's not really, is he? There was that one bit in the... Right, and how does David know about that? Right. That one moment in The Young Offenders where Gav seemed to be the top dog. Right. Well, it seemed to at least be able to intimidate these two weaklings who are picking on Max. Right. And also... David, you can't just assume that all black people are lunatics. I don't know if he was doing that, but it was it was almost hilarious how he right. goes from kind of being yeah. pretty racist himself right. to everything's and everything's going to be fine. Right. Going from that to there is no way in the world you should be doing this because right. this is somebody yeah. else's girlfriend. Right. And there are rules. He's excusing, the racism thing he's is... He's excusing racism and then becoming a misogynist. <laughs> right. Like Beck doesn't have any say over who she dates. <laughs> Seriously. Hey. It's like David's scratching the dog and it's like, which one's which here? Mm. In the precinct, Max is listening to a voicemail left by Gav and then Beck shows up and they immediately start winching. So I guess they are going out. Yep. Which was obviously going to happen. Well, yeah, which was obviously going to happen. And you know, that's fine. Sometimes obviously going to happen isn't a problem. No, no. Especially since it's going to be setting up a problem later when Gav gets out and finds out. Yeah. You know. I'm still hoping, though, that the main problem here is going to be the reason why Max was inside. Right. Because Gav doesn't know it. 
and Beck doesn't know it. No. So my concern last week was this is now a storyline about Gav getting the dirty done on him by his friend Max. Who's a racist. And that's where the clash is going to come from without the whole racism dynamic being right. mentioned at all. Now it seems that because neither Beck nor Gav know about this, it, it feels like that is going to be used. And I hope it is going to be used because that's far more interesting yes. than done the dirty on me. Right, yeah. Then, oh, my best friend stole my girlfriend, who wasn't your girlfriend anymore. She says, point blank, he's not my boyfriend. Yeah, there's a reason why she's not returning your calls. Because she's not dating you anymore. Right. But maybe she should call him and let him know that. Of That's course, true. It's, it's quite possible that she has made that clear to him already and he just doesn't accept it. Sure. But, you know. All right. Our next storyline is the Italian jobby. On Wednesday, <laughs> Brian and Isabella show up at the cabin in the morning just as Rita is locking up. You're locking up already? She says that she's stayed longer than her shift, but Brian is super late. We learn he was playing card games with Isabella until the wee hours. Yeah. So this is now... So that's Bri- what we're calling it now. So this is now Brian's problem, and Rita fucks off. Isabella says something rude in Italian, probably. And in the roles later, Rita's complaining to Shona about Brian's potentially incestuous relationship with Isabella. Apparently, Isabella was complaining about Nina's roles coffee the other day. Isabella comes in and basically tells Rita that she's too old to be Brian's assistant and she should retire. Rita tells Isabella that she's nobody's assistant and gives her a message to pass back to Brian. Ho smesso, she says, which is Italian for either I quit or the ho is smelly. <laughs> or both. Rita moves on. Yeah, sometimes it can mean more than mm-hmm. one thing. Rita moves on to the Rovers and complains to Audrey and Jenny about Isabella. What a moan. Brian appears, who Jenny calls a Judas. He apologises to Rita and calls her an indispensable cog in the cabin machine. Isabella shows up and Rita threatens to give her a vodka and tonic shampoo. Isabella is shocked that Brian would allow Rita to speak to her like that, but Brian sends her to the bar while he chats with Rita. He wants Rita to come back. But she wants a raise and to skip stock taking. Brian reluctantly agrees. And meanwhile at the bar, Isabella continues to make friends by accusing Jenny of shortchanging her brandy measure. And so she gets barred. Yeah. Just like that. Just. <clears throat> I like that. It was, it was fun in the Nina's roles where um, Shona and, and Rita were pointing out the fact that coffee doesn't come from Italy. <laughs> that seemed to take Shona by surprise. And that, you know, and then Rita says something, and they even had, they had coffee houses in this country during the reign of Elizabeth. And Shona's like, really confused. And it's like, well, she just died. And she's like, no, the first, you dumb person. On Friday, outside the cabin, Jenny reminds Brian that Isabella can fuck off to Rome for a drink before she'll get served in the Rovers. Mary comes along and notices that Brian is coughing like a mule from Isabella's second-hand smoke. She asks if his cousin may be leaving sometime soon. There's no firm date as such. He's keen to get his own space back. And it seems at this point now that Brian's rather tired of this whole Italian thing and this whole Italian cousin thing. And in the roles, Brian is complaining to Roy about Isabella and her nocturnal activities. Roy suggests encouraging Isabella to meet new people and give him some peace. So Brian goes to see Mary, who is sad about being made homeless in another storyline. He asks her to join him and Isabella for a drink later. Mary reluctantly approves and is meeting Roy and Evelyn in the Rovers anyway, so Brian has to admit that Isabella has been barred. 
but resolves to get her unbarred. How is Mary becoming homeless? I thought it oh, was jobless. Jobless. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She doesn't live with Paul and Billy and Summer. Not anymore. Just no, wait, in, no. In, that was the, the Allahans. Just in the weekends. Yeah. Brian goes to the Rovers to apologise. they on, need a third. On behalf of Isabella and to compliment Jenny on how radiant she's looking. Jenny doesn't accept the apology because he didn't do anything wrong. But when Brian goes into the longer version of his speech, Jenny has to relent. So the gang meet up in the pub later and the talk, obviously, is about dogs. Mm. Isabella announces that she hates greyhounds and she prefers chihuahuas. Stupid yappy type dogs, says Evelyn. Isabella doesn't think Evelyn is the dragon that Brian said that she was. Jenny looks like she's about to hide behind the bar and take all the valuables down with her. Right. But Evelyn is cool with this, knows that she's an acquired taste, and leaves to walk Freddy. Mm-hmm. And Roy goes with her, leaving yes. Mary and Brian feeling awkward. And that's as far as we get with that. Yes. Yes. Evelyn is not cool with this. No, Evelyn Even just says, says that she's cool with this. I'm off to to uh, burn down a castle and, and steal a princess. <laughs> yes. She's hilarious about it. Mm-hmm. You but know. she's not cool about it. It's also adorable that she's kind of like, come along, Roy, and Roy goes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I don't... I kind of... This it feels... A, just like the scaffolding, though, it feels a bit like a story that's looking for a point here. Right. As much as I'm enjoying it... Right. I, I quite like seeing Brian being pompous and brought down to earth. Who doesn't yes. Who doesn't like that? Or right. Brian wanting something that he gets that he then immediately doesn't want. I'd like a storyline where Brian is not pompous and brought down to earth. I would like a storyline where Brian is pompous and it's okay because it's his personality and his friends love him anyway. Well, the last time that happened, they vomited all over the governors. <laughs> that was a bullying storyline. And, and, the, and, the and that kind very of brought much, him down. Very much a low point in the history of Coronation Street, I would say. Yeah, but that was back in the day when everybody was vomiting on everyone <laughs> on shows and in movies. That's true. Remember that scene in Pitch Perfect? Was that written about the same time? Probably, I don't know. Probably not. No, I mean, we've got a few things that are go- that's going on here. We've got the Brian and Mary dynamic and we've got the Roy and Evelyn dynamic. And it's clear that Brian still really wants to be with Mary. Yes. <clears throat> And I think Mary still wants to be with, with Brian, Brian, but they both are really bad at saying what they really want to each other. Right. And, and Roy is just doing as he's told, <laughs> doing as he's told basically. Isabella is <clears throat> just in the way of everything. Yeah. And Roy is just glad that he's got Haley's anorak back. That's right. Well, we'll see where that one goes. Yes. But I think, yeah, it feels to me like Brian and Mary probably, probably will at least try to be together. They, they so desperately want to be with each other. It's kind of ridiculous because, I mean, this will they, won't they has been going on. Since Cathy left, pretty much. Right, yeah. And and Mary did her one-woman show and, and Brian, or not one-woman show, did that play mm-hmm. and Brian wrote that review. And that's when it all kind of came to the forefront. Yeah. And yet... He was giving her quite longing looks in the lead up to that, wasn't right. he? Right, yeah. Mm. You know, it's kind of like the slow burn that is Evelyn and Roy. Right. All right, our penultimate storyline tonight is Inside Ryan. But not like that. On Friday, Carla is heading out to the factory and is worried about Ryan, who seems content just to lounge about in the house for another day. She suggests that they meet up at Nina's Rolls later, but he's reluctant to commit. 
She says it would be a distraction from all the Justin and Karen thoughts that he must have pouring around his head. And she calls him a hero. He says he's just so embarrassed by it all. And Dev's Kala runs into Daniel. He asks how Ryan is doing. She explains that he hasn't been out of the flat in a week thanks to the catfishing shite. So Daniel goes to the rovers to tell Daisy what he learned from Carla. He thinks she should go and see him because they're friends. Daisy correctly assumes that Ryan is feeling embarrassed and won't want an audience. So Daniel suggests that maybe he should go and have a word with Ryan himself. No, no fucking way, says Daisy. Exactly. And that's as far as we get with that this week. This <sighs> is <clears throat> just, the, it's just the, the three scenes on Friday to remind us that this, that this, is, exists. this still exists and it doesn't really go anywhere. There's no. nothing really much more no. to say about that, I don't think. No. Other than it's a wee shame that Ryan is now kind of becoming a bit of a recluse. Well, I mean, he was already. Yeah, and it's even it worse. Because it, it wasn't like he was going out to see Crystal. He was being, rec- he was, he had Crystal as a crutch mm-hmm. as an excuse to be reclusive. Right. So. I guess we're going to have some Daisy and Ryan together time next week. Mm. And I think it's, it is still just a matter of time before he finds out that she was Crystal. I think, I think she's already starting to feel the burden of this honour a bit too much yes that she's, i think so she's, too she's needing to tell him i think she's already starting to think that this is the only way that she's going to feel feel better is by telling them the truth i agree and maybe that'll happen next week who knows who knows so our final storyline this week is the best bad result question mark oh on monday and number one steve is happy that the scaffolding is coming down as that'll save them tons of money that they need and this makes Amy feel guilty about all the stress and expense her libel case is costing everyone. Steve maintains that he's only too happy to do it. At the cab office, Tim is in a foul mood because he's caught wind that Steve's looking to sell his share in the business. Steve explains the lie of the land about the libel and that and the rapist. Tim is apologetic and worries about what Steve will live on if they lose. Steve hopes that they're going to win, so they head out on the piss together. A good way to save money. Yes. Back at number one, it's kebab time. Amy comes back to report that the florist valuation is due tomorrow. Amy would rather use Granny Deirdre's inheritance money, but Steve will hear nothing of it. And I'm glad that she's still got that inheritance money. Yeah. Because it gives her an excuse to say Granny Deirdre. Right. This is this <clears throat> is the second time Deirdre's come up this mm-hmm. week. On Wednesday, Amy is in Nina Rose chat with Summer while Steve is in chatting to Carla. Steve is trying to get real estate advice for selling the business and Summer and Amy are chatting about Summer's impending eviction from the florist flat once Tracy sells up. Right, and the fact that, you know, Paul's dying and now he's getting evicted. (sighs) After he's just moved back in. Are they all going to move in with Dee Dee, do you think? That'd be hilarious. He needs to be on the ground floor, I think, doesn't he? Well, where could he live where it's where he would be on the first floor? There aren't exactly an awful lot of those places. There's his sister's house, but that's kind of crowded. Mm. It is isn't isn't the place where Nick and Leanne live, don't they have an elevator there? I think they do. There is, there is that's where Leanne gave birth. In the elevator? Mm-hmm. But she wasn't living think, there at the time, was she? Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think I think they've cleaned up since. I hope so. 
But can they afford to live there? Because that's really posh, isn't it? But but Billy is uh what? He's like a he's like an uppity uppity like archdeacon or something. You now. got it right. I thought you were, totally See, thought you were getting make up a position in the church. He's an uppity bishop, <laughs> and uppity bishops get paid tons, don't they? Because they sell God twenty four seven, and they get God right up to you. At last, something that Isabella can understand. <laughs> Oh, like I said, no jokes this week. Oh, no good ones anyway. No. <laughs> Where did we get? So, Summer and Amy head over to the law office to discuss Amy's case with Adam. Adam is looking to get proof to reconstruct the night of the rape, which is confused when Amy admits that she wasn't drunk until she got back to the flat. <clears throat> so nobody actually saw her being drunk before then. Right. Amy says that they can't afford to lose... Steve has had a valuation organised for streetcars and a competing florist has already made an offer. They're called Jolly Hawk Hollyhawks. Jolly Hollyhawks. And they're, they're offering way over the odds for Preston's petals on the condition that they get the sale done before the trial, which is a weird stipulation for a florist to have, but there you go. Meanwhile, Aaron the Rapist has appeared at Summer's door to return a pair of her jeans that he's probably sniffed sterile. Ugh. She's in dungarees today. Hmm. He tries to make small talk about the for sale sign outside the flat, which allows Summer to tear a strip off him, explaining that Tracy's selling to pay for the libel case following Aaron raping Amy. He still protests his innocence, but Summer isn't buying it and tells him that he knows what he is and he knows what happened, that Amy was unconscious when he raped her. Finally! She says his dad might believe otherwise and court might believe otherwise too, but she knows... She tells him to drop the case. And this, I think, is the most useful Summer has ever been. Somebody has finally said Amy was unconscious to Aaron's face. Mm. This is like the first time somebody had said to him. I think Amy said it, hasn't she? She said it to other people, but it, I don't think she's actually said it to him. Or she hasn't said it to him in a way that he understands. Because this... I'm it, sure Amy has said it. It, it, it feels like... It's, it just, it feels really weird that this is like really the first time somebody has said to Aaron's face, she was unconscious. And it, it caught him out. Yeah, it really did. And some are saying, no matter what the court says. Or no matter what I, you, your dad I will believes. never believe that you are anything, anything other than a rapist. Mm -hmm. But this is not the first time that somebody has said to him, you know what you are and you know what you did. Right. But she's really specific. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, because all through this, we continue to tiptoe around that word. Right. Especially Aaron and, and Eric. Mm -hmm. It's like if they say rapist, it makes it true. Right. So they tiptoe around it, which kind of feels like proof of something. Right. Uh, back at number one, Tim is chatting with Steve and asks for first refusal if Steve officially wants to sell his shares. Tracy and Amy come in arguing about the sale of the florist. Tracy thinks if they sell now, they still get a safety net if they need it. She can buy a new business and build it up. But the talk doesn't help. Amy is dead upset. On the street, Amy is explaining this to Summer when they bump into Aaron and Eric, who are in Weatherfield for no good reason. Eric is a total prick, and Aaron begs Amy to write a, retra a retraction, and if she does... He will move away for good, and he tries to play on her emotions by saying it'll save her parents from financial catastrophe. Amy tells him to suck her balls, and she and Summer storm off. 
Back home, Amy learns that Tracy has to sell up now or the deal is off and privately she tells Steve how proud she is of all the work that she's done to build up that business over seven years. But she's more proud of Amy and she loves Amy more. And on the other side of the door, Amy hears this and is a bit devastated. On Friday, around the breakfast table, Amy, Steve and Tracy discuss this bid from Jolly Hollyhocks, the rival florist. Rather morosely, they decide that things will work out one way or the other without much proof that that's going to be true. Outside the salon, Amy has a favour to ask Ed. She wants to know if his CCTV off the flat covers the bottle bin. He thinks it does, so he agrees to get it for her, but warns her that the system wipes itself because it's a big boy every month. After this, Maria asks if Amy is okay. She seems very frantic, but insists that she's fine. In number one, Ed comes round with a flash drive of the CCTV. Amy explains slowly to her dad, using words of one syllable, what this is, and he's thrilled that this could be the proof that they need. Couldn't it? Yes, says Amy, and she gives him a sweetie as a treat because he's such a clever boy. Meanwhile, on the bistro, Eric is summarising his and Aaron's latest meet with their solicitor about this. Eric wants Aaron to speak up a bit more and show some fight, and then he has a go at me too. Yeah. The dreadful, dreadful man that he is. Ugh. Maria tracks Amy down to the community garden and Amy explains the lie of the land with her folks selling their businesses, her friends losing jobs or their homes. So much rides on her not messing up, not to mention the principle of what she's standing up for. Maria tells her that if she's not sure of the fight, then she doesn't have to go through with it. She doesn't have to solve rape. She can walk away if she needs to and no one will think badly of her. I appreciate Maria's sentiment, but the idea that if Amy backs away again and and writes the retraction, that nobody will think badly of her is very naive, especially since what happened the last time she was like, well, maybe I got this wrong. I I feel like I feel like. Maria is very optimistic about that. I I agree with her that Amy is not going to solve rape. You know, just like the Baileys are not going to solve racism. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not her job to solve rape. But coming as far as she has with all of this, I don't know. It does not feel like the best advice ever especially since she has so much support behind her you know and one thing I really really love especially this week is how much the adults around her even the ones that have no real reason to be are so supportive of her and are just encircling her with support and care the way Ed is with her, the way uh, Leanne and Carla are going to be with her mm-hmm. in in a next scene is just really, really lovely. But to say, oh, nobody will think badly of you if you if you back away again, that's not true. Yeah, Ed seemed particularly sweet. It seemed to be. I was wondering why it was. He's in a hurry to to get away and. And get this done and then right. leave. And it's like he doesn't want to be taking up any more of her time or right. make her say any more than she's already said. Yes. And I thought that was really nice. Yes. And I think Maria here 
is sensing that Amy is kind of wishing that this whole libel thing isn't worth it. That she's not going to get... She gets nothing out of winning it other than she didn't libel him. He's not going to go to jail if he loses this case. All that happens is that is that the libel action is, is dropped. He doesn't suddenly become guilty of rape. Well, yes and no. Because, well, it's it's not going to get him thrown in jail or anything. If the court finds in her favor that she was not guilty of libel by calling him a rapist that in fact says that she's that he's a rapist Mm. you know so that is somebody in the court saying no you're a rapist she did nothing wrong in what she said what she said is true officially by a court so there is some satisfaction from that, I would think. Yeah, but where I'm going with this is that she she d- doesn't think that the risk the risk is worth the potential reward. That the risk of Steve and Tracy losing their businesses, people losing their homes and their jobs is worth the risk of losing this. And she wants now to be able to to just stop it stop it from happening. It, to eliminate the risk and maria's saying if that's what you want to do then you should do it right and i think she's right in that yeah that she just wants to put it behind her and but this is not but that writing a retraction and and getting the libel case dropped is not going to put it behind her, though. No, I don't think so either. But that's what she thinks at that at that moment. Right. Yeah. So this is bad advice. Well, because it's going to make it will her eventually, look wrong. It will eventually be bad advice. And at the moment, she doesn't care about that. Right. What she cares about is her mom and her dad. But also, you know, neither one of them seem to be considering the fact that Tracy and Steve have sat down and they have considered this already. And that they that this is something they are willing to do, you know that it's that she she does not she does not get to say to her parents, although she does, you know thanks but no thanks. Yeah, she absolutely she absolutely does get to say that. Right. She let's get, let's get to the end of this because I think this is part of the whole bigger discussion of what we're going to hit right. at the end of yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Amy gets home and tells her folks that she's going to write the retraction. She just wants this to be over. The risks are too great and it has to end now. And Steve and Tracy are appalled. She can't let Aaron win. She thinks he's kind of already won and she needs to move forward. And Tracy tells her that they will stand by her either way. So Amy meets Aaron in the bistro and throws a piece of paper at him. It's her retraction for his approval. And then she'll post it on her social media and then that'll be that. So he has a read of it and has some problems with it. She hasn't told the truth, it's inconsistent, her grammar is all over the place and she uses a passive voice and relies on crutch words too often. This was supposed to set the record straight. Amy apologises, telling a pack of lies and making it sound the truth is a bit of a stretch for her, but if he doesn't like it, maybe he should write the fucking thing for himself and she'll post that and she storms out. 
and later Aaron is having a hard job writing Amy's retraction himself. Eric comes along and tells him that all he needs to do is write what actually happened. Aaron says it's more complicated than that. How? asks Eric. You didn't do anything wrong. Gulp, says right. Aaron. Yeah, about that. And suddenly Eric's sobriety isn't going to be the lead story in the family Christmas letters this year. <laughs> At the pub, Tracy and Steve are chatting with Maria and Mary when Amy comes in and she explains that she's getting Aaron to ghostwrite her attraction for her. Amy and her folks are heading home when Aaron shouts on her. He wants a word with Amy and he tells her that he didn't write it and he won't be writing it and she won't be writing it. And he tells her that he's dropping the libel case. Inside number one, alone, which was weird. Aaron tells Amy that he's leaving and she's in the clear. He wants to move on. What, from the thing that you didn't do, she says? No, this doesn't make sense. And she presses him. Let's go through it together. That night, the drinking, the kissing, him following her into the bedroom because she fell. Why did I fall, she asks. Because I was wasted. But he can't say the last word. He can't say that she was wasted. She took her top off, or he took her top off. He can't remember which. Mm -hmm. She wasn't feeling well. She says she felt sick. She rolled over onto her side. We were kissing, he says. How? When I was on my side, she says. Yeah. You were into it, he said, and you wanted it because you were flirting with me all night, he says. And that seems like a big admission right there. Who took my knickers off, she asks. He did, he admits. They had sex, but she wasn't responding or kissing him back, and he knows that. You raped me, she says. She says that she thought she needed to hear him say it, but she doesn't. He rushes out and says sorry and jumps into his dad's fancy new car. Thanks, Gran. And then, for some reason, it's a passing Abby who comforts Amy on the doorstep of number one. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah, why anybody would leave her alone with him, it just doesn't make... I understand... I understand the dramatics Mm -hmm. of it. I understand why the show would do this for dramatic causes. It's a two-first scene, right? But it doesn't make sense because there is no way in hell her parents would allow her to be alone with this in person house. who raped her. You know? Yeah. And, and you know, it would make more sense if they were, like, in the next room and immediately come out and, and hug her mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, I don't know why it's not Stephen Tracy who are there to hug her. I don't know why it's Abby. Right. When Abby was for more than a couple of weeks was the cause of quite a lot of her distress by taking that inside in the whole thing. Well, maybe that's exactly why. Maybe this is coming full circle and... Fuck that. Get me Steve and get me Tracy to hug her on the doorstep. I don't want Abby anywhere near her at the moment. This is far too soon. Mm. And I said I was conflicted about this. Yeah. Because I actually felt that they did that scene in number one where it, it, although it shouldn't have happened with just the two of them, I think they did it pretty well. And I quite liked that she got him to write the retraction and that was what what made him finally realise and admit that he couldn't do that because writing it the way that it actually happened didn't make him sound any more innocent than... Right. Than, what, than what Amy had written in the first place. Right. But I really, really wanted Amy to get some kind of justice out of this. Yeah. And she hasn't. No. She's got some closure. And, you know, who am I to say any of this, right? Hmm. But there was a couple of people on Twitter 
who responded to my, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about this. Right. Just said, well, this this happened to me, and I didn't even get the. You didn't even get the. Didn't that, get the yeah. apology or whatever. Yeah. So she's, yeah. So she's got one more than me. Right. And somebody else is saying, well, this is exactly what happened to me. And, right. Which and is I, heartbreaking. And I, did, and I did feel closure. It's like, bloody hell, it's like, who are we? A, a tiny wee insignificant podcast with a couple of thousand people following us on Twitter. And out of just the few people that read that, there's a couple of people who this exact thing happened to. Hmm. <sighs> I never got justice. I never even got this. And Paul never got justice for his rape because his rapist died mm-hmm. without ever being charged david kind of got justice eventually eventually and he kind of had to do it himself carla's rapist died yeah toya's rapist got caught eventually right bethany's got caught eventually Mm -hmm. but you know soap is fantasy land in so many ways yep from affairs to floating guns it's a fantasy land so it would kind of be nice if every once in a while, those of us who have been through something like what Amy went through mm-hmm. could see someone getting actual justice, even just on a TV show. Right. And I think that's where my kind of disappointment in it came from. Right. And she was never going to get justice after, no. after it, it, the case was dropped. It's like, well, they're not going to suddenly find a smoking gun here that's going to change any opinion. Well, she got um, the unless, flash drive. Unless he admits to it. Right. And he kind of admits to it, but then he runs away. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt, the, the, the point where I kind of felt like, oh, at last, this feels like justice, is when the realization shows up on Eric's face. That his son indeed is a rapist, mm-hmm. and that Amy is indeed not a cow and right. a liar, or a bitch, as he right. called her, yeah, a lying bitch, a lying bitch. But again, we don't get to see his comeuppance either. He never apologizes for calling her names, no, and everything. Uh, I kind of feel like next week everything's going to be fine again. Yeah, and Amy's not going to have any any problems anymore and we'll be perfectly fine moving forward and that's especially since this is not the first time she's had a traumatic experience where somebody did something to her without consent no and then she had her abortion as well right so she had she's had plenty to contend with in her her 18 years right and that affects a person you got to think so right so, I don't know. I think there was there was bits of it that were done really very well. well. The acting in it was superb. Mm. And to the point where Elle Mulvaney posting how she's going to miss James, who plays Aaron, once he goes, right. because he's such a lovely guy. And, right, in real life. And you say, <laughs> thank you for that check, because right. he's, he's so good at being the... Mm-hmm becoming that nasty character mm-hmm. yeah and she's obviously done a such a good job at, um and those big scenes she's really she's really delivered it and yes. i thought the scenes of them together were really well done really tense kind of you're holding your breath 
sort of thing. And like I said, I really thought that the the vehicle of using the retraction letter and him trying to write it was pretty clever. I, mm. I liked I liked how that um, how that played out. I thought that that was really good as well. I just it just hasn't left a great taste in my mouth. No, me neither. And maybe it's not meant to. No. No, and you know, like I said, it's. I just hope that we can, you know, maybe go a few years without another rape. That's that's kind of or or sexual assault of any kind, mm-hmm. because it it just feels like it feels like it happens too much on the show, without you know the fun soap stuff. It feels like the worst thing you can be, as a teenage girl in Coronation Street. Yeah. And, and maybe we need to give them a bit of a break. Yes, all of them. All of them, but especially Amy. Let's give Amy a break, shall we? God, we've got to give Summer a break, surely. Just one thing after Summer's another. Summer's kind of had a break. What's what's wrong with her now? Did, did dying Paul's dying. Dad. One, of, one of the League of Dads is, is dying, but that's not happening to her. It's happening, oh, it's happening to Paul. Cold, cold heart. <laughs> I may you. Uh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? David rubbing David's belly. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That was my favorite thing this week. But, uh, and, uh, I mean, because I am so conflicted by the whole thing, even though it was acted really well, I kind of don't want to give it to the whole Amy and Aaron thing. I think it's got to be. It's, it's got to be, it's, but it's, it's the it's, moment. It, and it's the moment. And what happens before the moment and what happens after the moment is its own moment. The moment of the week has got to be Ugh. Amy and Aaron's confrontation in number one. Even though it doesn't make sense that she would be left alone with him. And it does not actually give her justice. Do you know what? I actually thought that the scene in the bistro was better, where she's throwing the paper at him, yeah. and and like you said, Leanne and Carol, like we're keeping our eye on right. you. Don't you worry, we've got you covered. Yeah, we've got you covered. I actually like that better. Yeah, and and even you know, Aaron writing furiously and and ripping paper out and stuff, and coming to the realization and Eric coming to the realization that was really good as and well. she's screaming at Aaron, what do you want from me? I'm doing exactly what you want. Right. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, but you say we weren't drunk and that's a lie. It's like the whole thing's a lie. Right. Are you finally starting to get this? <laughs> I'll happily go for the bistro scene rather than the number one scene. I thought both of them were great, but I actually think I preferred the bistro bit. Yeah, let's go with that. Or let's go with David tickling David's tummy. <laughs> the Beastle scene with Amy and Aaron is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. David tickling David's tummy. No. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, is it... Is it Brian? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's Brian is a <laughs> boring moment of the week. Do you want to be more specific, or <laughs> we're just going with that? No, it was, the Brian storyline wasn't in its entirety boring. No, um, 
or Brian explaining about the card game. Brian explaining the card game. That's a for a moment of the week. Well, that about wraps it up for another week, Helen. Oh, thank God. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy and French Helen. Ooh la la. If you want to write into us and tell us your favourite Italian card game, wink wink, we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our YouTube channel and merch store. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more. A talk of the street. A talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.